Hey, it's me. Hello and welcome. How are you, friend? Always an honor to have you listening to the Paul Leslie Hour. I have an interview from the archives for you. This originally broadcast on the radio. It was recorded over the telephone. It's a talk with the legendary songwriter Sid Tepper. A rare interview. There aren't many interviews with Sid Tepper out there. But we did this interview along with Roy C. Bennett, his songwriting partner. Sid Tepper wrote and had published more than 300 songs. In fact, more songs for Elvis Presley than any songwriter in history. I think that's pretty interesting. Other people that recorded the work of Sid Tepper would include Cliff Richard, Tony Bennett, and I was just talking online with Bruce Birch about the great Wayne Newton, Mr. Entertainment. One of the songs most associated with Wayne Newton is Red Roses for a Blue Lady. Well, that song was written by our guest Sid Tepper, along with Roy C. Bennett. It's always been a favorite. Sid Tepper was born in 1918. He passed away in 2015. He was 96 years old when he passed away. I believe I did this interview, he was somewhere in his 90s. Very clear in his thinking, a good communicator. I have a lot of these interviews that need to be brought out of the archives, and there are expenses relating to publicizing them online, but also hosting, things like that. If you want to make a contribution, you can do so. Just go on thepaulleslie.com. You'll see that button that says support the show. When you click that, you can make a contribution using PayPal. It's easy, simple, any amount is appreciated. Now, let's get into the interview. Ladies and gentlemen, it is our pleasure to welcome a songwriting legend here on the Paul Leslie Hour, the one and only Mr. Sid Tepper. Thank you very much for joining us. Okay, it's my pleasure. I think most stories are best from the beginning. What was life like growing up? (laughs) Well, you know, life growing up, you know, I grew up, I was born, believe it or not, everybody asked me the same thing. What did you say? 1918. That was World War One. So I'm pretty ancient. <laughs> but I grew up in a depression. I had, we had hard times and, but we never really suffered that much. You know, in those days, uh, we didn't have Obama as a president. So we didn't have any, uh, freebies or, uh, coupons to buy, uh, food. But it, it was tough times. Was there a lot of music playing around your house? Uh, no, not really. Not, practically none at all. I grew up, and then uh, I got really interested in lyrics and music. You know, when I was 17, 18, I started to write poetry and things like that. And, and I really didn't get involved in music until... World War II, when I was uh, went into the army, and I got into special services, where where I uh, wrote army shows and stuff like that. Can you remember the first song that you ever wrote? I think it was something called the Woodchuck Song. The Woodchuck by Song. Miller and uh, and the group. That was a long time ago. When you started to get interested in so, in music, what were your favorite singers? Well, 
course, my favorite singers were, were really, uh, you know, really standard types uh, like Frank Sinatra, uh, Dean Martin, Joe Stafford, singers like that, Andy Williams, and, uh, of course, Elvis. Tell us about how you met Roy C. Bennett. Well, we grew up together. I was about to go into that. All the songs that I'm gonna, about to mention, is he was my collaborator in all of them. And we, we, li- we were like, he lived across the street from me in uh, Brooklyn, in New York. And we got together and we uh, started to work together. What was your first impression when you met him? You grew up together, but can you remember? Well, he was really a solid, solid type of guy. Very serious. Technical. We, we got to, we, we were never socially, you know, really compatible, but we, we worked together well writing words and music. Can you remember writing the song Red Roses for a Blue Lady? Oh, yeah, yeah. Actually, that's a, that song has a very interesting history. That was written in, believe it or not, in 1949. It's way over 60 years ago, and it's still amazingly doing well all over the world, as far as, you know, royalty income is concerned, and performances and so on. So, actually, in life, you know, I was married. I was just recently married, actually, and we had a little argument. I had a little argument with my wife, and I sent her some flowers, and I wrote on a card, she was very unhappy at the time. Red roses for a blue lady. And I sent, I sent the roses. And, I don't know, about a week later, the, the roses were practically, you know, dying, but the card was still there, and I looked at it, and I said, Red roses for a blue lady. Wow, what a, what a great title for a song. So I got together with Roy, and we, uh, you, we agreed. So we, that's when we wrote the song, and it was a, a the song actually wrote itself. Because we had the the punchline at the end of the song, and if they do the trick, I'll hurry back to pick your best white orchid for her wedding gown. So it was a song that only uh, males could sing, you know, because that was, and that's the story behind the way that song was written. When you wrote with Roy C. Bennett, who would do what? What was the process like of working with him? Yeah, well, we had an unusual uh, way of doing it because some collaborators like Rodgers and Hammerstein, one wrote the music and one wrote the world well, the words. But in our case, we, we, we did it both together and words and music. We, we were both good at singing. Uh, in fact, we did our own demos and we, uh, we, we did the music and words together. When you think back on all the songs that you've written, is it possible to pick a favorite song? <laughs> well, you know, lots of times there, there are songs that actually didn't make it as a hit that actually is my, is our fa- I don't know about Roy, but one of my favorites was a song called Teardrops in the Rain, and it was recorded by Arthur Prysock, who was, uh, you know, a, a wonderful saxophone player and singer, and unfortunately he's passed away since. But he, I thought, had a great record on it. That's one. That's one of my favorite songs, although it never made it 
in popularity. What about other songwriters that have influenced you? Uh, well, my favorite songwriter of all time is Irving Berlin. To me, he's amazing. He never had a collaborator and never went further than the third grade, third grade, I think, in public school. But he wrote such sophisticated lyrics. It's unbelievable, but he self-taught, I guess. And, uh, he was, he was, in my opinion, the best popular songwriter of all time. Well, today's music business is completely different. You know, we had like Rodgers and Hammerstein, who I admired very much. But, you know, you ask the average guy in the street today, Rodgers and Hammerstein, they don't even know who that is, you know. Yeah. It's, that's hard to believe, but it's definitely true. People don't seem to remember him, but he's definitely... Culture, culture of, uh, it's completely different. Motion pictures and uh, and lyrics that you know writers today will write is unbelievable. Unbelievable. In what? I'm talking about X-rated. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, is there any music of today that you find that you can enjoy? Yeah, some and uh, some have come out of uh, you know Broadway shows. Billy Joel. There, there are a few. Elton John. Uh, but but Bacharach. And Hal David, mm-hmm. they, they wrote words and music. Today, today, it just songwriters somehow are just repeating one line and go right through the song, repeating the same line all over again. And we, we try to write songs like every song would be like a short story. Now, tell us about the first song that you wrote that Elvis Presley recorded. Oh, boy. That's a hard one. I think it was a song called Just for Old Time's Sake. That was one of our non-movie songs. That was right at the beginning. We worked for, we were staff writers at the time at uh, Helen Range and uh, Elvis Presley uh, Enterprises. And it's just a pop song. And we made a demo on it. The publisher liked it. And he said, but he sent it to uh, Elvis, and he loved it. So he he put it out as a single. It didn't make it didn't make much of a splash. When you think back about Elvis Presley, what are some of your recollections that stand out the most? Well, I don't know if you believe this or not, but we wrote forty-seven songs for Elvis that he recorded. And even though I think we were the only. Writers, I think, that wrote that many, I think more, more, I don't think of any writers that wrote more than that. But that's an amazing amount of songs for, you know, an icon like Elvis. And believe it or not, we, we never even met. We did all our stuff by phone. I was a family person. We, I had five children. And when he came back from the army, he started to, you know, make all these movies. And Hal Wallace, who was a very uh, influential producer of movies, heard of our team, and and he he wanted us to be involved in the movies because he knew the type of songs we could write that some of the rock and roll writers were not maybe capable of doing. So we could write these special songs, like I'll give, for instance, a cane and a high starch collar, not not. Petunia, the gardener's daughter, Vino De Niro, and Amour, the bullfighter was a lady. These were not songs written because they would be popular hits. 
they fit they fit the scene in the movie, and that's what Hal Wallace was looking for. And he also knew that we we could write ballads very well, like and we did, like Puppet on a String, Angel. So I love only one girl. And so so that's how we got involved with, with, with all these movies. And when we got a script in the mail, and with a with a with a not non-title. We, we, when we read the script, we got the idea to call it G.I. Blues, and Hal Wallace loved that, so we, we wrote the song G.I. Blues, and that was the title song of that movie. I wanted to ask you about a couple of the other songs. Tell us about the inspiration behind Lonesome Cowboy. <laughs> well, also, that was when he was, uh, uh, riding a horse on horseback, and part of the script, and we read the script, and we, I don't know, we figured we, boom, 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 but like the clip clop of the horse's hoofs, which was part of the arrangement, and he he was like a cowboy sort of a character in the movie, so we got the idea to do do that song. There's some songs that fall into, like, uh, there's one song we wrote called The Naughty Lady of Shady Lane, I don't know if you know that one. Recorded by the Ames Brothers. Tell us about that one. Yeah, well, I lived in Long Island on Whisper Lane, and my wife was pregnant at the time. And in conversation, I was working with Roy that day at home. So we, uh, I said, well, soon, pretty soon, there'll be a naughty lady on Whisper Lane. <laughs> so then in talking, in talking, we we said, naughty lady, Whisper Lane. Yeah, it sounds, and then we said, we changed it from uh, Whisper to uh, Shady, Naughty Lady of Shady Lane. And we wrote that song, that, which I consider one of the most unusual lyrics that we ever wrote. We decided to write it like it was a lady of the evening. <laughs> and uh, when you got through the song until the punchline at the end, turned out, you know, as for instance, some of the lines were, she just needs someone to change her. And she'll be nice as can be, you know, and uh, when offered some liquid refreshment, the lady never says no, and they flock around her door, and you know, everything sounded like a call girl. And then at the end, and she's only nine days old, just she's, she just needs someone to change it, and she'll be nice as can be. If you're in a neighborhood stranger, you're welcome to drop by and see. Glory <laughs> lady of Shady Lane. ba 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 Naughty lady of Shady Lane, she's delectable, quite respectable, and she's only nine days old. And, and you know, believe it or not, in those days, they were talking about banning it <laughs> for radio play, and we had a, a quite of a, a quite an argument on that. Till you know, until it got to the punchline, which says like, "Look, we're, we're only writing about a, a nine-day-old girl that was just born." And at the time, it was on the hip parade and everything, and the uh, Long Island press was bothering the hell out of us. And of course, she was due any minute, and they actually followed us to the hospital when she was born. When the uh, when uh, when she gave birth, it turned out to be a boy. So the Long Island press headline actually, believe it or not, it was a headline: "The Naughty Lady of Shady Lane is a Boy." And that, that was my son, my son Brian. That was very interesting. 
We also did some work with, I don't know if you know, Cliff Richard. I'm a little familiar. Well, he is from England. He never had any hits in this country. But believe it or not, Cliff Richard sells more records internationally than Elvis. And as a matter of fact, he was knighted Sir Sir Richard. And we wrote a lot of songs for him. And one of, one of the, his signature songs is The Young Ones and Traveling Light. We wrote about a dozen songs for him. Recently, uh, what am I saying? Recently, when, at my 90th birthday party, he flew in from England to attend my party, which I thought was phenomenal. On that note, your songs have been covered by a lot of different people. Everyone from Carl Perkins, like you just said, Cliff Richards, even the great Dean Martin. Right. Who that has recorded a song you've written? Who do you think, when you think back on the recordings, have you thought, that was the best rendition of something I wrote? Oh, God. <laughs> That's a tough one, I'm sure. Yeah. I think Georgia Gibbs' recording of Kiss of Fire. We wrote that uh, actually under a pseudonym. It's a long story, but we had to do it because the publisher needed it, blah, blah, blah. We couldn't do it in those, in that, at that time under our names. That's the only time in our whole career we had to do that. It was, we wrote it under Lester Allen and Robert Hill. But that was a phenomenal hit, Kiss of Fire. It was number one on the hit parade and was number one on Billboard. That I thought was a phenomenal, phenomenal rendition. Actually, uh, take that back a little. Louis Armstrong did it also. Really? Oh, yeah, and, and he did a great job on it. And we're trying to get the Revlon or one of the big, you know, people in that area to, to use it as a advertising thing. would make a good lipstick, kiss a fire. What about the song you wrote, New Orleans? That's a good song. One what? of my favorite all-time songs. Well, that was in the uh, in the uh, black and white movie King Creole, which I think is the best best song ever. That the best movie that I think that Elvis ever made. And acting, I'm talking about acting. And we decided, being it was set the movie in New Orleans, that we try and write a song called New Orleans, and that's the way that was written for a nightclub scene. What makes a song a good song, in your opinion? Well, the only time a song is a good song is when it's a great marriage between music and lyrics. Otherwise, if they don't fit, it's like wear, like a, a size 9 shoe uh, that you try, try to wear when you need a 10. So it's it has to be a great marriage. And as an example, when they wrote, and for the movie... Viva Las Vegas. Yep. I don't know if you're familiar with the lady. The lady loves me. They needed a duet between Anne Margaret and Elvis, and we we wrote it. And I think there was about two or three other songwriting teams that also wrote a song for the duet. And they picked they picked ours, uh, the producer and Elvis. And the song is called "The Lady Loves Me." I think that's a phenomenal, phenomenal recording. What is the best thing about being Sid Tepper? <laughs> the best thing about being Sid Tepper is is that I was never a Hollywood type guy. Never wanted to I was a family person. 
And I never lived that kind of life where I went to the uh, parties and things like that. That was, I just lived a normal life. And I remember going to the uh, preview in Hawaii with my wife, who since unfortunately passed away. But that was one of my highlights of my writing career when they they treated me royally when I got to Hawaii. And the fact I Roy and I got a great Oscar, if you want to call it an Oscar. It's a it's a thing with with Elvis's face engraved into the into the plateau plaque, and we wrote five songs for the movie, and by a, a worldwide vote, that was our song. Songs were picked as the best songs for a movie in its entirety for the uh, movie. Can you give any advice or maybe some words of wisdom for all of our listeners out there? I mean, who want to be songwriters? Just in general. You've had some opportunities in your life, and you've gotten to do some things. Like, Not many people can write something that all these years later people are still familiar with, and you still hear some of these songs some of these songs not so much in the united states uh, we get most most of you know i'm a member of ascap right and we get the uh, uh the uh, sheets and the uh, songs that are being played all over we get i would say on performances alone i would say 10 times the amount of income than we do from the united states huh and from the international performance i'm talking Performances alone. Right. Of course, the music business is not the same anymore. They don't sell records anymore. Albums, I think albums are going to be a thing of the past, except maybe for uh, Broadway uh, album uh, albums, shows like Elton John. Most most performers today, a lot of, a lot of majority, I would say, performances are singers and writers. Which makes it very hard for for a songwriter who's not a performer. The business today is, you know, you could download a song for seventy nine cents or eighty nine, whatever it is. But if you want a, that song that's in an album and you have to spend eighteen, nineteen dollars for the album, and you only want it because you want want maybe one or two songs in the album, then you could download those two songs and save sixteen dollars. So I, I would predict that in the next couple of years, there, there won't even be any CDs. That's the general consensus. Yeah. So it's tough. It's going to be tough for the songwriter, but not for, not for the uh, performer who sings the song and then goes out on tours and makes a fortune on, on the uh, international tour and the United uh, States tour. Like Elton John is a marvelous songwriter. He also has a great writer working with them, but, you know, like Lion King and stuff like that, you can't beat that. What would you like to say to all of our listeners, just in general? Well, I would say that, unfortunately, I, I'm hoping that whatever comes around, goes around, comes around, but I hope that the taste of the listening public and the, and the, would somehow, I don't know how it could happen, but Turn around and not going for the rap and the and the other stuff and the 
vile language in the lyrics. Of course, it's freedom of speech, so, but it's tough. It's really tough out there. And if you, and if you want an aspiring songwriter, go for the Broadway shows, write the stuff, the better stuff. Of course, country mu- music, you, you can still do. Of course, uh, country music is turned into a pop type of thing also. Keep at it, you know, yeah, and it's tough. If you want to be a songwriter today, man. I remember in my days it was really tough too because when you wrote a song in my days, you wrote the song and then you try to get it published. And I remember going up like, say, to Columbia Records and singing to, singing the song to the, to the A&R man who at that time was Mitch Miller. You know the name? Yeah, Mitch Miller. Yes, yeah, he's passed over, unfortunately, since. But he was, he was the A&R man, artist and repertoire. And we sang, I remember, I remember singing, uh, Red Roses for Blue Lady to him. And, and he said, oh, great, I, I'm going to find an artist as well on my label to do that song. You know, that's the way it worked. Today, no. Today, a singer writes a song, goes into the studio with a band, and they put out their record. The A&R man is, non-existent practically it's the producer in the studio that makes the record mr tepper it's been a great pleasure to do this interview with you uh, one more thing i'd like maybe to it's a uh, right. thing of interest in billboard i think for the first time in history since they've been tracking the numbers on in billboard that we had three songs on the chart i mean three different artists for Red Roses for Blue Lady on the chart at the same time, which was Bud Camford, Wayne Newton, and Dick Dana. And it hasn't been done since. So that might be interesting for the public to know. That is interesting. That's... I don't think there are that many covers today on songs today. Not as much, doesn't seem. Not, no, not as much as there, used to, there was. Oh, one more thing. Do you still ever stay in touch with Roy C. Bennett? Yes. I do. Unfortunately, him they're having health. Him and his wife are both having health problems uh, right now. They're in a uh, assisted living facility somewhere in New York. But I do talk to him and discuss different things with him. In fact, when Cliff Richard had his 50th anniversary tour, he, believe it or not, he's seven, over 70 years old, but he looks like a teenager. Great-looking guy. And he's still touring with his, with a band. I, you know, I, I discussed different ideas with him on his tour, what we could do, and so on and so forth. I appreciate this a lot. It's been very interesting. Well, it's been very nice talking to you. All right. Well, have a good day. Good. And keep on plugging the good songs, will you? <laughs> I will do it. I promise. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you very much. God bless. God bless you. Ba-ba, doodly, beep, ba Goodbye.